Good afternoon, Monsieur Jones. Good afternoon, babe. How are you? I am quite well, thank you. Here we are. We are. In fact, here. Isn't that the beginning of a song? I don't know, but we can make a song. Okay, let's not make a song. (laughs) I had many people this week, and by many, I mean two, who commented on the fact that I no longer have a Scottish accent. Hey, it's a travesty. That is not a Scottish accent either. (laughs) That's somebody having a stroke. Um, My aunt, Jenny... From Wales, I spoke to her on the phone today, and she said that my um, my cousin, uh, I think it was Ben, ben yeah. had said there's something wrong with Alan's accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could you stop that, please? <laughs> and then I spoke to my friend Rick, who uh, he was very complimentary, said, hey, I'm enjoying listening to you on the podcast. So I said, hey, you know, has my accent gone? Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, it pretty much has. And I was like, well, has it really, or is it just that I'm using American words? Um, or is it just the intonation of the way I say things? Or is it, you know, I actually have an accent. He said, no, you actually have an American accent. Which is so funny because people stop us all the time and say, where is he from? Oh, I love his accent. But in fairness, um, I'm kind of agree with Rick and Ben. I can't hear it. You can't? No. So I thought that m- maybe I'd speak Dundonian well, in this particular podcast. Or at least Scottish. <laughs> Maybe Scottish people don't sound <laughs> like that. <laughs> All right, tell me about this week. What happened this week? Oh, I don't even know what happened this week. Um, what did happen this week? We we had a good week. It's been a busy week. I've managed to use my computer twice, two weeks in a row, places. I go in and meet people, and then I leave and forget that I left my laptop. Last week was in Whole Foods. Um, yesterday was at Sopa Pia's. I left it overnight, went back in. I've got a lot to say about the honesty of the work in, workers in Franklin and Nashville. Thank you very much for stealing my laptop when you had great opportunity to. Right. But I think my brain's going somewhere. Right. Um, our dear friends Ryan and Katie came back from the Harvest School in Mozambique. Woohoo! Um, so they're staying with us for a week. They're staying with us for a couple of days. Very fun. And uh, they've got great stories to tell. We're having dinner with them tonight. Can't wait to hear about it. Uh, we had quite a high social week this week. We got to see David and Tammy Molnar and we their did. beautiful baby boys. Yes. Um, if you've, I would say that David's one of my favorite photographers, hands down. He's, he's so skilled. Yeah, he's great. And so talented. Yeah. And they had some uh, chocolate-covered crack, which was amazing. Um, caramel, you mean? It was caramel. There's an American thing. In Scotland, we say caramel. See, there you go. There's your lesson. Caramel. Caramel. With caramel. proper syllab- syllables. <laughs> what did I say? I said caramel. No, you didn't. You string them all together. No. Caramel. I didn't say caramel. Well, that's what it sounds like to me. Well. We both did the ice bucket challenge. We did. I took it like a man. Yeah, right. You screamed like a girl. I did, but it was shocking how quickly it took your breath away. It's true. I decided to go for a run first. And then that way I would feel appreciative of the ice bucket. I didn't feel that appreciative, really. It was cold. You um, you know what I did appreciate was last night we got inducted into the One Direction fan club. We did. Having never heard of <laughs> One Direction, they were actually playing in Nashville this week, and one of our friends um, got to hang out with them. So so we were like, who who are these people? We don't, we don't know who they are. And so she was like, you don't know who One Direction is? We're like, no. So up on YouTube, we watched some of their videos and bought some of their songs. In fact, we bought their documentary. We did. Which is going to be in 3D. So we're having a One Direction 
uh, catch up next week to learn all about them. And then lastly, we were just preparing for our School of Supernatural Life that kicks off this week. We're so excited. I am so excited. All our staff were cleaning the school this week. That's true. And you found little birdie carcasses. I did. That was very sad. It was very sad. Yeah. Well, it was disgusting. Um, we have bye some bye birdie. listeners' questions this week. Bye bye birdie. <laughs> Sorry. I just. <laughs> Let's try that again. We have some listeners' <laughs> questions this week. This is a. I'm going to give you advance notice. This is a tough question, and I don't have a great answer for it, but it's a great question. It's worth asking. Uh, so this question is from Brittany, and she asks a brilliant question. She says, hi, guys, I'm wondering about what's happening to the Christians in Iraq. I know I have no right, but I'm angry. Why is God allowing these horrific things to happen to his people? My friend's mom died yesterday when she broke her neck doing yard work. She loved and served the Lord her whole life. If he won't protect them, how could I believe he would protect me? How could he be daddy? So uh, there's actually two questions in that one question. The first is essentially, uh, why does bad stuff happen? And more importantly, why does God let bad stuff happen? And the second question is, well, how can I be sure God's going to protect me? Right. I, uh, I'm going to say on the, I'm straight off the bat, I don't have a good answer for that. The question of why does bad stuff happen in the world and we have a good God has been debated endlessly by, by theologians. And um, for those of you who don't know what's happening in Iraq right now, uh, it's it's horrendous. It's absolutely horrendous. Yeah. This incredible genocide and persecution uh, of many people, not just Christians, um, as the uh, ISIS or Islamic State, as they call them now, these uh, extremists are going into cities and uh, either murdering people or driving people out. Just atrocities happening. And largely the world's media remains silent on it. I'm not it's entirely quite shocking, sure why actually. that's happening. Yeah, I mean, you heard about it for like a day or two, and now it's it's almost like it's not happening anymore because it's not anywhere. If you want reports from the ground, um, the Bishop of Baghdad and Canon Andrew White posts on Facebook. And uh, that's somebody that you can trust, somebody who is uh, there, somebody who's known by many people that we know. We don't know him directly, but uh, we, we know the people who know him and... Uh, it's just horrendous. And so the question comes then, like, God, how does how does that happen? And so, again, I don't have a, a brilliant answer for you. And the answer I do have, I'm aware I'm giving in my nice air-conditioned home while I don't face any persecution whatsoever. But in the midst of whatever horror you see in life, we've got to remember that what's going on doesn't actually detract from God's nature. His nature and his character, as revealed by the Bible, is completely constant. Right. It was David Campbell who brilliantly said, the Bible is written down for us so that when life is going well, we can refer to it. But more importantly, when life is not going well, we can still believe it because it's been written down for us. So the truth is that God is good and he is trustworthy. And the actions that we're seeing around the world, not just in Iraq, but you know, all over the world, wherever... Um, sin is happening, is the very reason that God intervened by sending Jesus to actually uh, bring a change. And so we've got to remember there's two very real realities going on in all of our lives. There's uh, the fact that God is really good, and there's the fact that the devil is really bad. Um, I tweeted earlier this week that few things make sense this side of eternity, especially when it comes to tragedy. Eternal life brings a different perspective to tragedy. And what I meant by that is if if this life is all there is, then the brutality of what's happening right now around the world makes 
no sense. It's horrible. It's, you know, as, as, as Paul wrote, if there's no resurrection, then what are we even believing in? If, if Jesus doesn't offer us eternal life and, and this is all there is, then we're, we're fools for believing what we're doing. Uh, Paul Kane once said, he said, we're eternal spirits having a temporary human experience. Mm-hmm. The point I'm making there is that th- this side of eternity Nothing makes sense. But we have to remember that what we're living here on earth is a very, very short term. And eternity, it's obviously a very long time. And we have to have a confidence and a trust that God absolutely knows what he's doing. You know, in the life of Joseph, you read uh, Joseph's life, and it's pretty horrendous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's nearly killed by his brothers, but instead they sell him, the human traffic him, sell him into slavery which point he you know, is a slave working in a foreign land, and then he gets accused of rape and then spends large portions of his life in prison. And you could be thinking, well, where's God in that? How is that even possible? That doesn't seem fair. But it wasn't actually God that did any of those things. It was sinful people that did those things to him. And what you actually see God do is redeem that situation. And there's a famous line that at the end, once he's been made the second most powerful person in the nation, he saved uh, the nation from famine. And his brothers come and, you know, everybody reveals who he is and who they are. And he says to his brothers, you know, what you meant for evil, God actually turned to good. And so the Bible is full of encounters where people are having some of the worst times ever. And if we stop right there, then it's a tragic story. But God brings redemption and the story ends differently. Life of Job, for example. Even the life of Jesus. Right. You know, nailed to a cross, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, of course, everybody looking at him going, oh, save yourself, you saved other people. If you just stop right there, you go, man, where's God in that? None of it makes sense. But you realize when you read the whole book, actually had a plan. And Jesus' death and resur- Jesus's death made no sense until you keep reading mm-hmm. and you realize his resurrection. So I say all that to say is I, I don't know what's going on. I, I really don't. But what I do know is that God is still on the throne. He's still in control. Yeah. And he's going to redeem it. Paul, the apostle, I was thinking about this verse earlier, 2 Corinthians 4. You know, it's glib for me, as I said, to sit here and give that as a very trite theoretical answer, even though I believe it's true. But Paul was somebody who had experienced hardship, was shipwrecked and beaten and left for dead and and so he says this, his, his encouragement to the church, he said this, I'm reading from 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I would say that's what's happening to, to ISIS. Their minds have been blinded, and so they're unbelievers. And in what they, they, they think... They must have been to right. be able to do what they're doing. What they think is God's work is absolutely not God's work. But it's not too different from Saul. Mm-hmm. Saul was breathing murderous threats out against all the Christians, oversaw the death of Stephen, Stephen, huge persecution in the early church, and yet it was him that the Lord picked to transform. So my prayer at the moment, of course, is that many of the ISIS leaders get saved to have a revelation of Jesus, which is amazing. Anyway, that's not the point. I just thought it was an interesting one. Verse 4, verse 8, he says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus 
may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Verse 16. He's saying, even in all this persecution and all of that stuff, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And he describes everything he's been through, the beatings, the persecution, the imprisonment, the being left for dead, the shipwrecking, the hunger, starvation, rejection, all of that. He calls that our light and momentary troubles. And he says these things, these light and momentary troubles, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He made sense of the tragedy in his life by looking to the eternal. I don't have a full revelation of any of that. Like I said, I haven't experienced persecution in my life. But I'm pointing to what the scriptures say and is is unshakable. Mm-hmm. Love, I realize I've been speaking and you haven't said anything. Do you want to add anything to that or comment? Um. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know. I, I understand it's so, I mean, we, we're following this every day and we're praying for these Christians that are going through things I can't even imagine. I mean, I can't wrap my head around what they're experiencing. Um, but I know that I know that I know that God is good. And I, I guess I keep thinking about, um, one of the verses that the Lord talked to me about a couple of weeks ago was, you know, from Esther when um, Mordecai is encouraging Esther, you know, you need to speak on behalf of the people that are all about to be slaughtered. And one of the things that he says is, if if basically, if you don't go and talk to the king, the Lord will raise up um, her, his people's defense from another place. Like it, so God's heart is is for people that are suffering for people that are, you know, going through horrific circumstances. Um, so I don't, I mean, all I can do is just know that God is good and, and, and not question that and pray, mm-hmm. you know, Oh God, do something Do you know, again, yeah, get the ISIS leaders saved or, you know, just intervene. And I think that's, that's our part is to be praying. I heard another story that, in and of itself is in this incredible testimony. And mm. the reason I'm telling this story is for a completely different reason. But um, we have a dear friend in South Africa called Passa Surprise or Passa Surpresa. And uh, Jeff Dollar, our senior pastor, was out with Surpresa um, a couple of uh, months ago, a month ago maybe, mm. in Africa with him. And one of Surpresa's pastors that work alongside him, Pastor Francis, uh, has an incredible testimony. Uh, one evening, uh, Surprise and Francis, they had a conference for the young people in their town. And as he went, as Pastor Francis went out in the evening to kind of lock the gates, uh, he saw a group of young men and went over to them and said, hey guys, you know, it's time to come in, thinking they were part of the conference. Well, these guys weren't part of the conference. They were um, thugs, thugs yeah. who uh, chased him and beat him. And one of them stabbed him to death. Um, and so, you know, they found a body, they called the police, he was taken to the morgue. And, you know, that story there where it ends is, is horrendous. You know, this poor pastor is beaten and stabbed to death and, you know, that's horrendous. 
The other end of the story is um, Pastor Francis came back to life. <laughs> you know, the other pastors were praying for him, and he said he woke up in a body bag in the morgue. And when he unzipped the body bag, there was no stab marks, and uh, obviously the poor coroner. They were healed marks. They were, right? they, they were healed. Yeah, they were healed marks. The, the coroner was freaking out. And the first thing Pastor Francis wanted to do was go to the police station to extend forgiveness to the man that had killed him. And so he, you know, went to the police with Pastor Surprise and said, oh, we're here to release these men. And the police were like, you can't release this man. This man's held for murder. And he's like, yes, I know. I am the man he killed. <laughs> so I, I don't know quite the proceedings of how it went. But anyway, so, um, Pastor Francis went and spoke to this man who was terrified because he thought this was, you know, Pastor Francis's ghost coming to haunt him. But he came to him and said, no, I, I've come to forgive you, and told him about Jesus. And this man breaks down in tears, gives his life to Jesus. And now, present day, he is serving uh, as a pastor. Mm-hmm. The man who murdered mm-hmm. Pastor Francis is now himself a pastor. So I, I that the, the reason I'm telling that story isn't even to illustrate, look, you know, God redeemed it. Because that's an example of redemption this side of life, which I'm sure there will be many in the years to come from Iraq. But, of course, also sometimes God redeems stuff in eternity. My point, rather, is to hear of somebody being beaten and stabbed to death is horrendous. But from Pastor Francis's um, perspective, he said, all I remember is going over to these young men, and I remember them chasing me. He said, and I remember being very weak because I'd been fasting for days before. And he said, so I remember running, and the next thing I knew, he said, I realized I was running in the air. And he said, and as I looked down, I realized there was my body, and I saw them beating my body and stabbing my body. He said, but I didn't feel anything because I was running. And he said, and the next thing I knew, I was in heaven. And he said, you know, and he had an experience in heaven. And he said, and the next thing I know is I can hear Pastor Surprise's voice um, praying for me. And he's like, oh, so Pastor Surprise is here too. And he said, and then the next thing I remember was unzipping the body bag and finding myself in the morgue and being really confused as to what happened. As you would be. <laughs> yes, you would be. But as, as amazing as that story is, the comfort I found in it was that the man being you know, beaten and stabbed to death, he was unaware of it. And it made me think about that, You know, we referenced it earlier in Acts, where Stephen is being stoned and it said that his face illuminated mm-hmm. And he could say, Father, forgive them. And you think, well, how could you say that? But I wonder if he was having a similar experience where he was so caught up in the glory of Jesus that he wasn't aware of his sufferings. I have no clue. I'm not building a theology out of that. It's just what I thought of upon hearing Francis's story. Babe, what would you say to somebody who's asking the question, how can I be sure that God is going to father me? And how can I be sure that he's going to protect me? I think it's his nature. Mm-hmm. You know, God, he's a great dad. If you think about you as an earthly dad, it is your desire to protect your kids from every single thing that you can. Right. And there's going to be moments where you couldn't protect them because, you know, you weren't there or whatever, which isn't exactly the same with God, obviously. Of course. Um, But you can still comfort and restore and, you know, so... I think often we don't understand, I don't understand why some things happen the way that they happen. And But I know that God's good and He's big and His heart is for us. And I've experienced too much of His goodness to question His thoughts towards us. That's a very good answer. My 
response to that, though, is when I heard you share your testimony the first time we met in 1993, you spoke for five days at my school. You were the teacher. Mm -hmm. And Monday through Friday, every day, there was a new level of trauma that you were talking about that you had sustained. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, how on earth did you endure that? So my, my, I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate here in that I absolutely agree. I know that God is good. I know that he's kind. I know that he's loving. But how did you, who is somebody who endured such torment and abuse and abandonment and trauma growing up, how, you know, surely you must have had times of like, well, where was, if God loves me, why oh, wasn't he there? When? All the time. Right. So my all question the then is, you know, you're experiencing that and you're thinking that and now you're saying many years later, you know, God is kind and he's wonderful and he's perfect, which I agree with. Of course, you know, the Bible has to be the standard, not our experience. But talk to me about your journey into a revelation of the goodness of God. Well, uh, gosh, I mean, it's on one level, it's really hard. On another level, it's really easy because God brought me to a revelation. Do you know what I mean? But, but what do you um, mean by that? I I really feel like he he directed it. Like he he got my attention. He kept my attention, and then he brought healing. It's funny because even when I think about you know a lot of the stuff from my childhood and you know losing my dad and all that kind of stuff and all the trauma, um, God has so removed the pain from that that I. I don't feel the trauma anymore. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, I do. I remember one day you were you were sharing some news with me about, oh, you know, I just heard that so-and-so, her husband left her and he's, you know, ran off with somebody else and oh, my heart just goes out to her. I, I can't even imagine how hard mm-hmm. that would be. And I had to stop you and go, hey, you do remember that exact same thing happened to you? And you were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I did. did. But that's what I mean. God can so fully heal your heart of things that there's not even a shadow of it that right. has any kind of power over you. I, I haven't forgotten. It's just that it's you not... You had then. <laughs> well, no, I <laughs> that's true. But you know what I mean? I haven't forgotten the stuff that I've been through. It's just that it holds no power over me. Right. And that is a testimony to the goodness, goodness of, God, of God. For sure. Because I think many people would probably point at the trauma that you endured and go, well, where was God in that? But back to my point is God's not done yet. That's just one chapter of your life. And and the thing is, is, you know, hurting people hurt people. And I had a lot of hurting people in my family and around me. Do you know what I mean? And so, I mean, you can give the answer of, well, everybody has free will and that's true. And, but the thing is, is, is as much as I went through that stuff, I still feel like God kept me. I'm here. Right. But what's important to understand is it's, it's not that, you know, a lot of people say, well, yeah, God allowed that to happen, you know. Therefore, well, it's not God, that he planned it to happen, Exactly, though, it? yeah. No, there's lots of stuff that happens on the earth today that he's not happy about. And I'm sure he weeps. I mean, I'm sure he weeps over the things that people are going right. through. But there's redemption in Jesus. And Always. when all is said and done, everything gets straightened out in eternity, which is just incredible. Even when you were talking earlier about Joseph, you know, the verse that I used to hang on for, you know, for dear life, really, was that Romans eight twenty eight? For we know that God causes all things to come together for good for those that love God and are called according to His purpose. Right. And and I remember many times just being like, I feel so overwhelmed by life. I I don't know how I'm going to navigate this. It's so painful. 
And I would just repeat that over and over and over again. For I know that God causes all, you know, I don't know how you're going to turn this horrible thing around for good, but I know that you will because it's your nature and he has. Right. Over and over and over again. So that's my hope for people in Iraq. You know, that's, I, I know that he's good and I can't understand what's going on right now. And I can't even, my heart can't even go there. I mean, I could weep, you mm-hmm. know, but I know that he's good and I know they're going to be able to stand up and say he's good too. Right. The, um, yeah, I think the important thing when you're overwhelmed, like I, I saw something on Facebook this week about that, that I wish I hadn't seen. And I remember just sitting in the car park of um, a grocery store on whatever night it was, Wednesday night, just, you know, in the car, just going, God, I don't even know how to pray other than, Lord, would you redeem this situation? Would you reveal your salvation? Would you reveal your great power? Would you, because you can feel overwhelmed, but that is why God wrote the Bible down so that in our moments of overwhelmment, we know the truth and Mm -hmm. we're not persuaded to think something contrary to his nature. Right. I was thinking earlier about how important it is to settle our heart on the goodness of God. Because if we don't, we will constantly be buffeted around by what comes our way. Mm-hmm. Like if we have a good day, then God's good. But if we have a bad day, then well, where was God? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the wrong way of looking at life. I think the proper way of looking at life is having a revelation of the love of God, mm-hmm. which then allows you to temper every experience that comes your way. Yeah. Krista Black had a great great quote about that, didn't she, a few weeks ago. It was, um, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get it right. So he, you're going to look it up while I try. I'm going to look it up, yeah. <laughs> but she said something like, if, if you don't actually understand or believe in the goodness of God, you'll lower your theology to match your experience. I mean, it was something to that effect. And yeah. I just thought... Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's that's how a lot of people's internal theologies about God get written, is I, if I can't explain it, then I need to lower my theology to encompass it, which I think it's okay to be able to look at something and go, I don't know how this matches up with your goodness, God, but I know you're good, and I'm not going to change that about you. Right, and I'm looking forward to the redemption that you bring. Right. Krista's actual quote, and this was mere weeks after losing her little baby girl, Yeah, which... That, I mean, uh, I I'm we're so imagine. proud of you, Krista, for the way you have navigated. Both you and Lucas are just absolute heroes. But she said this, if you are not anchored in the goodness of God, you will lower your theology to match your pain. Yeah. So for you then, how? I, I mean, we were talking earlier about the goodness of God, and I realized that, you know, from 1994 onward, you were just, even though you were broken and and, you know, in your current emotional state, you were living with one of the most incredible manifestations of the presence of God the world has seen. Yes, that helped enormously. <laughs> so talk to me about what that was like. I mean, I it really probably wasn't until 94 that the Lord started really um, working overtime on my heart isn't the right expression, but just, I mean, just I felt like healing, healing of my heart was coming very, very quickly in the presence of God. And it, so it was daily encounters with the Lord and with His goodness, with His love, where I just couldn't argue that He was there, He was present, He was showing up and He was removing pain, you know. And um, there was lots of, you know, random things like dreams and encounters and visions and stuff like that. But there was also just sitting in His presence and feeling that love 
that just heals. Right. So, you know, I got probably years worth of what should have taken years worth of counseling and moments just because the Lord is so good and he knows exactly what we need. He knows how to heal. So can you think of any of those examples of like, like those visitations of God where God did something, you know, you, you went in one way and you came out the other. Yeah. Um, gosh. Uh, I guess one I could think of is um, right near the beginning of the renewal. So you're, you know, early 94, when I was still sort of like, oh, God, I don't understand this, and I don't know why you move this way, and it's kind of messy and all that kind of stuff. Um, And I was still really uh, struggling with my dad's death, like hugely struggling with where is he, even though I knew the Lord had told me that he had, you know, given his life to him, and and I'd had this whole... um, Anyway, I, I mean, the Lord had told me, and then Mark Dupont had given me this word, and, and I right. was like, okay, I should know. I mean, I should know in my head, but I still was so owning that I should have been the one that led him to the Lord or something, you know, that I couldn't let my heart be at peace with that. Okay. But then, so we're in the renewal, and the Lord shows up, um, you know, time and time again. But this one night, I this one of the pastors came by and prayed for me, and I fell over and I went immediately into a vision, like just, and the vision was of my father killing himself. And, and I'm watching this vision, you know, of him killing himself. It was horrible. Oh yeah. Um, and then, and so I start screaming and I'm in, you know, I'm in a church, so I'm screaming, no, no. And I, and I sit up and I come out of the vision. And so this pastor comes over and, um, this was at the Cambridge Vineyard at the time. Um, so this pastor comes over and he's like, you know, can I pray for you again? And I went, no, because I was just like, you know, traumatized. And and um, he said, just can I just pray for peace? And I said, fine, peace. You're, it's the only word you're allowed to say is peace. <laughs> and he was like, okay. And he, so he did, he prayed for peace and I fell out again. And But this time, and I went back in the same vision, but this time Jesus was right next to me. And... You know, when I was crying, Jesus was crying. And then when my dad was actually dead in the picture, Jesus went over and picked him up and walked it, look, looked at me, smiled, and walked out of the room with him. And I remember thinking, okay, Lord, from now on, I choose to believe that you have him. Right. And there was so much healing in that simple little thing that, I mean, it could have taken years of counseling to work through and it was just like in an instant the lord said hey let me make this super clear to you i've got him right um but there was so many like just crazy moments of god reorganizing the way that i related to him or thought that he related to me or you know getting rid of striving and you know there's just like your constant canvas for God to sort of reorganize things and remove all of your theologies based on pain. Right. So um, there was a lot of kind of heart work that got done and there was a lot of crying, but it was awesome. And that was all experiential. All experiential. And you weren't thinking, I'm going to go to the church tonight and I hope that God will fix this. No. I mean, I was just going to church because God was showing up at church. So I just didn't want to miss it. You know, and you were just, just like, constantly changed by experiencing that. Yeah. 
And I would say it was their stepping stones. You know, there was a few moments like that one that were sort of bigger chunks, but it was almost like daily stepping stones, getting a little bit closer, getting a little bit closer and a little bit fuller and a little bit less pain, a little bit more hope and that kind of stuff. So That's what I love about him. He's so good. He's so persistent in his goodness towards us mm-hmm. that it's incredible. You know, I, I think of my in my journey into understanding the goodness of God, it sounds like you had experiential encounters with the goodness of God that you then had to process and understand. Yeah, but I think also because I'd had experiential encounters with the absolute horrificness of life, right. and so God was in, like, um, he was changing experience for experience. Right. That's interesting. Mine was almost the opposite. Like, I, I mean, obviously my life was <laughs> devoid of the trauma that you experienced. Thank you. But my revelation of the goodness of God started with a thought. Like, I had to start, you know, in Romans, um, Paul writes about we were transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so really, I would read stories, specifically from Graham Cook. I remember one prophetic word that Graham Cook gave from Isaiah 61. And when I read his whole sermon and the whole prophetic word, it was too good to be true that I thought this this can't be right. And I actually had to make a mental decision to change what I believed about God. And that coupled with a dream I had, a really significant dream that I had about, in, a, in essence, the goodness of God, made me then change the way I thought. And because of the way I thought was different, I began to believe different things about God, and then I began to see the fruit about what I was believing. Yeah. Now, the truth is we always see the fruit of what we believe. We just don't often realize it. Right. And I realized that for most of my life, I'd never been in touch with the goodness of God. You know, of course, God is good, the Bible tells me so. That was the sum total of my theology about the goodness of God. Right. But beginning to understand what was available to me through his goodness changed the way I thought about him and changed the way I thought about the experiences I was having in life or what's available to me. Right. And I would say this was like a nine, ten year journey yeah. of constantly being upgraded in the way I thought about God. And as a result, the fruit that I would experience. To the point now where, you know, it's not uncommon for people to speak to us and just say, I, you know, some of the stuff that you experience in your journey with God isn't stuff I've ever seen. And I can completely understand because I used to, you know, usually that indicates how we're thinking about God or what we're thinking about God. Or for example, expectations of right. what God can do or will do or wants to do. Or, yeah, yeah, for sure. I think my theology for most of my life was que sera, sera, like whatever will be, will be. <laughs> that's not theology, that's a song, darling. <laughs> right, but basically, in essence, really? anything that happens must be the will of God. Well, I don't agree with that at all. Right. You know. I could come over there and punch you in the face. That isn't the will of God. It's not his heart that I would beat my wife up, but there's plenty of wives who are beaten up by their husbands. Right. I'm and sure so, there's lots of time we're falling short of, of living and right. what his actual will for us is daily. Yeah. So yeah. the renewing of the mind is a huge deal. My, I wrote an article this week or posted an article this week called um, How to Be Utterly Awesome. And my sister summarized it. I mean, I, she summarized this whole brilliant article in one line where she said you're attitude determines your altitude so again you, you what you have is the direct result of what you believe mm-hmm. 
All right. I just feel like we're getting started talking about this, but we've already been talking for a long time about and, it. And I can hear MJ. Yeah. Maybe we need to come back to teaching or speaking uh, or talking about the goodness of God. Because there are cuddles to be had. There are. And not <laughs> sexy cuddles, unfortunately. Just no, little baby boy cuddles. cuddles. So great. All right. Closing thoughts for you this week. Um, or, yeah, I guess when this comes out on Monday, this coming weekend, if you're in Nashville... Iris Nashville is hosting the Go Conference. Super excited about that. We're so proud of Lyle and Allison Phillips, the pastors at Iris Nashville. They're just doing a phenomenal job. Um, Roland and Heidi Baker are in for the conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lou Engel. Will Matthews. Will Matthews leading worship. Chris McLaurin's leading worship. James Gall is speaking. Lyle is going to be sharing. Uh, Anthony Skinner's leading worship as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, a, it's going to be a great conference. Um, go to goconferencenashville.com uh, to get tickets. Night sessions are absolutely free. And then to all our School of Supernatural students who are going to be starting this week, we're super excited to see you. We can't wait. We can't wait to spend the next eight months um, with you. And for everybody else who's listening, thanks for tuning in. We so appreciate you listening to our podcast. And we <laughs> will be back next week.